Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Amen. So I take eyes to see. I take ears to hear. I forgive everybody of everything. I receive supernatural debt cancellation. The word of God that I'm about to receive will enable me and empower me to make Jesus famous in my everyday life. You may be seated. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. We're continuing with our how-to series tonight. The question that we're answering today that we'll submit it was, what does it mean when the Bible states that if you receive a prophet, you will receive a prophet's reward? What does it mean when the Bible states that if you receive a prophet, you will receive a prophet's reward? So let's see what that means. Go to Matthew chapter 10, verse 41. Let's go to the scripture they're referencing, Matthew chapter 10, verse 41. I encourage you, if you haven't submitted a question or you have another question, you can go ahead and submit it online at fccga.com slash howto. And we're just going through the time answering questions people submitted from the word of God. Matthew 10, verse 41, says, He that receives a prophet and the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to, to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall no wise lose his reward. So first let's break down some terms. When it talks about receives a prophet or receive a righteous man, it means to accept, to welcome. Now, when you see the phrase in the name of a prophet, or what does that mean? It simply means because he's a prophet. You received and welcome a prophet because God has called him to the office of prophet. You received and welcome a righteous man because he is a righteous man. So your motive is this is who God has anointed. This is who God has blessed. This is the person living for God. And because of what they're doing for God, I receive them. So notice the motive of the heart, not because I'm trying to get something from them, not because of whatever reason. You're honoring them because you want to honor God. And then Jesus even goes on and says, whosoever shall give a cup of water to one of these little ones. And when we look at the, little, the definition of little ones in the Greek, it can refer to children or it can refer to people who are low in rank. So people think, okay, of course, if I honor a prophet or this mighty righteous person, I know God's going to bless me. But Jesus said, you'll still get a reward if you give a cup of water to a baby Christian because they're a disciple. So notice Jesus says there is a reward. Say there is a reward. And so the person's specific question was about the prophet's reward. The word reward here means wages or pay or salary. So there is a pay or a salary that people can receive when they receive a prophet. The scripture shows that there are rewards or payment for how you receive, accept a prophet and a righteous person. There's also a reward for giving a cup of water to one of the little ones because they are a disciple of Jesus. In the same way that God blesses the prophet or a righteous person, God will bless those that accept or help them. So a lot of people say, oh, well, the think about people like Brother Hagen or Brother Copeland, mighty men of God who are prophets. You think, man, Jesus is going to reward them greatly for what they've done for the kingdom of God. But Jesus says, if you help them, I'll award you the same way. He said, if you help a righteous person, the person you think, man, what God's going to do in their life is going to be amazing. Jesus says, if you help them, I'm giving you the same reward. 
You'll get the same reward and share in the same blessing. Go to 3 John, verse 5. What is the prophet's reward? What is the prophet's salary or pay? Jesus does not mind you being reward-minded. That is not wrong. Because he even said in the Gospels, he says, if you pray in secret, their Heavenly Father will reward you openly. If Jesus didn't want you to be rewarded, why would he talk about it so much? Why would he talk about when you get to heaven, you will have rewards? He wants you to keep rewards on your mind. 3 John, verse 5. The Apostle says, Beloved, thou dost faithfully whatsoever you do to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness to your, of your charity before the church, whom if you bring forth on their journey after a godly sort or in a godly way, you shall do well. Because that for his namesake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles, we therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. So notice he's already talking about how hospitable they are to the people who left home to go share the gospel. He says, as those people come to your town, welcome them, be hospitable to them in a godly sort or in a way that God will be pleased with. Honor them because they're following God. He says, when you honor them, when you take care of them, when you welcome them, when you feed them, you've now become a fellow laborer or a co-laborer with the truth. So a lot of people say, well, I would love to go on a, a missionary trip or go to foreign fields and win people to the gospel. But maybe God didn't call you to do that. He's like, oh, but their reward's going to be so great. So Jesus says, if you want in on that reward, help them. So I'm like, well, I'm not anointed to preach the gospel. I'm anointed to cook. Well, feed them. And Jesus said, you will get the same reward. You will share in the same blessing. Go to 1 Kings chapter 17. What does that blessing look like? Because people say, okay, yes, when I get to heaven, there will be reward. And there will be rewards in heaven. But there's also rewards here on earth you can share in. There is a prophet's reward here on the earth. Now, when you look at where the covenants are divided, when Jesus ministered, he ministered as a man anointed by God under the old covenant. And so at that time, there's only one ministry office, one ministry gift. It's the office of the prophet. The apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, as we know them today, weren't yet given. So when Jesus refers to a prophet, he's referring to any ministry gift. And so as, as John goes on and says in 3 John, we receive any of them who are coming. You receive them in a certain way. So we're going to look in the Old Testament and then later in the New Testament, in the Old Testament example, two different prophets, in the New Testament apostle, how when they received them, what was on their life, came upon the people that received them. So 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 8, we know here there's a famine in the land because Israel has departed from God. God uh, the prophet calls for a judgment. It does not rain. God says, go to the river. I'll provide for you there. And so he goes, but because there's no rain, the river dries up. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, arise, get thee to Zarephath which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain you. He says, I've called this widow woman to take care of you. So you know, Elijah in his mind is thinking, wow, this must be a widow woman whose husband died and left her a lot of money. Wouldn't you think that? That if this is a widow woman, this is a woman who loves God and she's got a lot of money. But when he gets there, he came to the gate of the city. Behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks, and he called to her and said, fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Just give me a cup of water. Now, remember, it's a famine. It hasn't rained for a long time. This is already an act of obedience that she's going to get him a cup of water. 
right? And then as she turns to do that, he says, hey, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she says, look, now you cross the line. Because as the Lord your God lives, I have not a cake but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil on a cruise. And behold, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Notice how dire the situation is. She says, I can share some water, but there's not enough food for me and my son to have a happy meal. We're going to have our last meal together and we're going to die together. So you have to think, how is God going to sustain this widow woman and her son and the prophet if all she has is a last meal for the two people? But notice what the man of God says. And Elijah says, fear not, go and do as you said, but make me there of a little cake first. Most people were gone off. CNN would have a field day. So would Fox News. Could you believe this preacher told this widow woman to make a small little cake before she made one for her and her baby? But notice what he's initiating. He says, make me a little cake first and bring it unto me, and then after that, make for you and your son. So notice the instructions. It wasn't make one for you, your son, and me, and we'll eat together. Go and make me first, bring it to me, and then go back and make something for you and your son. So what is she doing? This is activating the law of seed time and harvest. Take the cake, make it, bring it, put it in my hands, and go back to what you have. And what will be the result after you put a cake in my hands? For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of milk shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the bearer of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. So you see seed time and harvest working. She gives a cake, and now her, her son, Elijah, and anyone in her house eat to their full every single day for years. Now, what caused that meal or that flour and that oil to multiply? The anointing that was on that prophet. God told the prophet, I will take care of you. I will meet your needs. That's his reward for serving God. He says, if you follow me, I got you. You're following me, so you got bills, I'll pay your bills. So he sends him to a place where there's a woman that doesn't have enough. But because God loves that woman, he wants that woman to have more than enough. So he partners the man of God with a person who doesn't have enough. So what's on the man of God will cause that woman to have more than enough. So now this woman, her son, and everyone in his house are sharing in the prophet's reward. Why? Because one time they made a cake for the prophet. So you know every single day she's making cakes for the prophet. Because if this works, just keep doing. Now if she was industrious, she could feed the whole city. Because whoever's in her house ate. Why? The prophet's reward is working. The same thing that's on the prophet is now in her house. Now the prophet's living there, so the anointing of the prophet is in her house. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick, and her sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with you, O thou man of God? Are you come to call my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? So now notice what's going on. Everything's going well, but the enemy attacks, her son dies. 
Elijah didn't see this coming, so he takes us to God, what's going on here? And then he lays on top of him three times, and he's calling out and says, God heard Elijah. And the, per- the boy's soul comes back into him. And then he takes the boy to his woman, see, your child is alive. Now, think about this. So let's say somehow the woman before had enough food to somehow survive. But her son still died. Why could the son get back up? Because there was a prophet in the house. She had a resurrection or raising from the dead happen because she was connected to the ministry of that prophet. If she had disconnected, she would have missed a miracle. But because she was part of the prophet's reward, not only is everyone in the house eating, when sickness came, the enemy came to steal from her, God restored her. That is part of the prophet's reward. Go to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. Verse 8. So we see how the prophets reward. What was on the prophets sustained that entire house. Caused that boy to be raised from the dead. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem. This is the person who Elijah trained. Where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. So Elisha, wherever he's going, he goes by this route on a regular basis. And this great woman, when she sees him, says she's constrained him. Doesn't mean, say, hey, Elisha, come over. She walked up and got him. I said, come on, you're coming to my house to eat. When I see her, I picture an old-school church mother who will not be told no. It's telling the prophet, you are too skinny. You need to eat. I have a sweet potato pie for you. Let's go. She constrained so well, the prophet said, fine, I'll go eat. And this would happen all the time. Then she gets this idea. She said to her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passes by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray, the on the wall. Let's add to the house. Let's build him his own room. Let us set there for him a bed, a table, a stool, and a candlestick. And it shall be, when he comes to us, that he shall turn and stay there. And it fell on a day that he came there, and he turned to the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, his assistant pastor, call this Shunammite. And he, said, and he called her, and she stood before him. He said unto her, say now unto her, behold, you have been careful for all this care. You've done such a great job taking care of us. What do you want? What can we do for you? Do you want us to talk to the king for you? We'll do it. Do you want us to talk to the captain of the army? We'll do it. She says, no, I dwell among my people. I'm good. And the Gehazi answered, she has no child, and her husband is old. You know you're old when the Bible calls you old. And he said, call her. And when he called her, she stood in the door. He said, about this season, according to the time of life, you shall embrace a son. And she said, nay, my Lord, you man of God, don't lie to me. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. Now, how did this happen? Notice this woman didn't have faith to have a son. It wasn't even on her radar. This was probably something she wanted years ago, but she hadn't thought about it. But because she partnered with the man of God. Because it was in our hearts, says, that's a man of God, I want to feed him. I want to bless him. You know what? He keeps coming by this way. We're going to receive him in our house and take care of him anytime he's in this area. 
because she partnered with that man of God, God had a surprise for her. She didn't even have faith to receive the surprise. But Elijah had faith to speak the surprise. Because you said, how do we know she has faith? She says, don't lie to me. That's not faith. But what happened? A year later, the baby's here. What produced that? The prophet's reward. That anointing began to work in that house and fix whatever was going on in the bodies of those two individuals to where they can have a child. And so they have the supernatural miracle baby. The baby's growing up. One day, he's a little bit older. He goes outside to spend some time with his father in his field as his father was working. And he begins to have some type of heat stroke, starts saying, my head, my head hurts. And so she go, he goes in the house and lays on his mother's lap and dies. But notice what this woman did. Verse 21, she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. Notice what this woman did. She had made room in her life and in her house for the anointing of the prophet. She made room in her house for that anointing. And so she took the child to the room, put him there, and said, I need to go on a road trip. And she called her husband and said, send me a prayer that one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, wherefore we go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, it shall be well. So now this woman has become a woman of faith. Because remember, when the baby came, she says, don't lie to me. But now she's speaking something. See, the thing is, the longer you are around faith, it will change your language. See, it reminds me of Peter when he was denying Jesus. Remember what they said to Peter? Your speech gives you away. You sound like you're with Jesus. See, even when you try to leave walking by faith, if you've been around it long enough, you'll catch yourself. Why? Your speech gives you away. And so now this woman, her speech is, it shall be well, or it is well. Now, what is she doing with her mouth? She's cooperating with the prophet's anointing. She's cooperating with the prophet's reward. And so she goes, and she tells the person, drive fast, don't slow down. So she went and came to the man of God to Mount Carmel, and it came to pass, when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to Gehazi, Sarah, and behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, pray thee to meet with her, and say unto her, it is, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? She answered, it is well. She's still cooperating with that anointing. And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to and thrust away. And the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord has hid it from me and has not told me. So a lot of people think, well, prophets know everything. No, they don't. But he says, I don't even know what's going on. God won't even tell me. And so when he finds out, the woman tells him everything. He tells Gehazi, take this staff. Remember, that represents the anointing. Go your way. Don't say hi to anybody if you see them. And lay my staff upon the face of the child. And the, and the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. And he arose and followed her. And Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff upon the face of the child. But there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherever he went again to meet him, told him, saying, the child is not awake. And when Elisha was coming to the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. So notice, the prophet expected when Gehazi put the anointing on the child for him to get up, right? So he's surprised the anointing is not working. Why? 
Not everyone's a good conductor of the anointing. When you keep reading, you see some flaws in Gehazi's life that kept the anointing from working in his life. He carried the anointing, he had the anointing, but it wasn't working. So Elisha gets to the room, calls out upon God, lays on the young man seven times, and his flesh begins to come warm. Warm, he returns, walks the house back and forth. The child sneezes seven times, the child opens his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, call the Shumanite. So he called her, and when he was coming unto him, says, take up your son. And she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground, took up her son, and went out. So she made room for the anointing of the prophet, and the anointing of the prophet gave a surprise miracle. When the enemy tried to steal that miracle, the anointing on the prophet sustained that miracle. So you see the prophet's reward. This anointing that's on the prophet can create miracles, can cause things to multiply in your house, but it can also sustain things that are in your house. Why? It's part of the prophet's reward. If she was not hooked up with that prophet, she would never have had a miracle. If she disconnected from being hooked up with that prophet, she would have missed out on another miracle. Let's go to the New Testament. Go to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Start with verse 14. Philippians 4, verse 14. It says, notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. The word communicate, you partnered with me. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. So they gave at least twice. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. He says, I'm not looking for a gift. I'm looking for your harvest. One translation, you're going to read about fruit that abounds to your account. I want fruit to abound to everything you've been saying. One of the ways you get what you're saying to come to pass is because you sold a seed. But once it says it this way, when I talk to God about a need, he talks to me about a seed. So this church has sown into the ministry of Paul. And he says, but I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice well-pleasing to God. So Paul says, all those you gave to my ministry to meet the need that I have, it didn't just stay with me. God took it like you gave to him. Remember, Jesus, if, you receive, if they receive you, they receive me. He says, when they come to your house, treat them after a godly sort. So when they sold into that ministry, God took a person that was a sacrifice, come to me, it's well-pleasing, it smells good to me. Now, what is the result of them parting with the apostle, with this prophet? But my God shall supply. Notice the personal emphasis, my God. So the same way God meets my needs, he's now going to meet your needs. Why? You've partnered with me. Since you've partnered with me, the anointing that's on me is going to come upon your house to help you with whatever you need. So it's not just a promise people claim, well, but my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. Well, do you qualify? Are you a giver? Have you partnered with any church or ministry? Because you can't lay hold to that promise if you haven't done 14 through 18. 
But notice what the supply is. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The word riches means abundance. It's the abundance of the glory in the anointing one Jesus and his anointing. How is God going to supply your needs? It's not just by dropping money from heaven. It's by the anointing. How was that widow woman sustained? By the anointing. How was that child raised from the dead? By the anointing. So in the same way, Paul is saying, because you've partnered with me, the anointing that's on my life is going to come on you and meet the need that you have. Why? They partner with it. Go to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. God won't forget any work you do for his kingdom. God will not forget a seed sown. And because he doesn't forget it, he'll make sure you're rewarded. So people may not know that you helped out. People may not know what you sow. People may not know what you've done, but God does. And as long as he does, that's all that matters. Because he'll make sure that whatever anointing you need to meet whatever needs you got will manifest. It's like what Paul said. Go to 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9. Verse 8. We know this is a giving scripture. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you always have in all sufficiency and all things may abound to every good work. All grace. Doesn't matter what you need. I think all grace can cover it. If you had just a manifestation of all grace, you would not have a need left. But what connected to it that they gave. And so one of the things, if you connect with a ministry that's doing what God's called you to do, called them to do, there will be a reward for you, not just on heaven, but also on the earth. And so one of the things I do, I give my tithes and offering here, but there's also other ministries I sow into. Why? I'm partnering with that ministry. But also as I partner with that ministry, their anointing comes on me. And then I'll minister under that anointing. And people say, oh, that looks like so-and-so, that's so-and-so. Why? I'm a partner with their ministry. And so now not only do I benefit from that, you benefit from that. And so the thing is, you don't just benefit of it because you're a minister. You'll benefit it in your life. The same blessing, the same anointing. You help a man or woman of God get done what God has called them to do. What's in your heart, the desires in your heart, God will help get done. Why? That's part of the prophet's reward. That's part of seed, time, and harvest. That the same anointing that's on them, comes on you. It even works in this church. Because the thing is, you're givers, you pray, you serve. 
The same anointing that's on me is on you to do whatever God has called you to do individually outside of this church. So when you go to the office, when you do whatever you do, you need to be cognizant. The same anointing that's on my pastor is on me. So I expect it to work on my job today. He says, well, I don't need to lay hands on the sick on my job. No, but you may need to lay your hands on an account that needs to work. You may need to lay your hands on someone that owes you money. I not lay your hands on them, but lay your hands on the account. You know, don't get me in trouble. It's like, oh, pastor said, go lay hands on someone who owes me money. No. The anointing that's on you, that's on this house, will help you in every area of your life. But like the woman, you must talk about it. You must say, the anointing that's on my church is on me, and I say that anointing works in this area. You must acknowledge every good thing that's in you. That's what Philemon 1.6 taught us. You must talk about that anointing. You must talk about the prophet's reward. You must talk about the harvest you have because you sow into this ministry. If you don't talk about it, you won't get the full results. It must be in your mouth continuously. That because I am a partner, I receive partner benefits. I receive the prophet's reward. I receive the anointing. And then you talk about what do you want the anointing to do? Remember, the anointing removes burden, destroys yokes. What's a burden in your life? What's bondage in your life? Talk to it because you got the anointing. And also remember, don't be Gehazi. Make sure you're living a life of purity so you don't have stuff that's blocking the anointing. Because you can want to get water through a pipe, but if it's clogged up, doesn't matter how much you want the water to flow through, it's not going to flow through. If it is, it's going to be a small little trickle. And some people wonder, well, why do I have such a small manifestation of blessing? Well, maybe you've clogged the pipe. You have to be a good conductor of the anointing if you want the anointing to work on a high level. You must keep your mouth right, you keep your life right, and you stay in faith. Remember the just live by faith, not vacation in faith or go to faith when there's an emergency. If you want the anointing to work on a continual high level, you must live in faith. You always must have your faith working. In order for your faith to be working, you must have faith. So that means you need to continually receive the word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But also you must walk in love because love fuels your faith. Because if you're always angry at people, if you're always bitter, if you're always petty, you're not going to have a high level of anointing. Why? You can't carry it. That anointing will destroy you. But your love will fuel your faith, enable you to use that anointing for whatever you need it for. But you must partner with it, and you must let it rest on your life. You must make room for it. You make room for it through your giving, through your service, through your prayers, and through your time, and by talking about the anointing. Remember, to acknowledge the Lord, and he will what? Direct your path. Acknowledge him. You can talk about the anointing that's on your life. I remember one time when I was in Tulsa, I went to lunch with Jim Hockaday. And so I saw him at a church. I just happened to go. I wasn't a member of that church. I just visited because they had a Sunday night service. My friend wanted me to visit. And so I'm sitting there with my friends, and um, the pastor's up there. And he says, Jim, because he opened up a scripture and read 1 Peter 2.24. said, wait a minute. Jim, I think you're supposed to share I was like, well, who's Jim? I turn around and say, that looks like Jim Hockaday. Oh, it is Jim Hockaday. So he comes up and begins to share. Miracles begin to happen. And I talk to him after. He says, hey, yeah, let's go to lunch. So we went to lunch, and he began to talk about the anointing. And he says, you guys need to talk about the anointing that's on your life. 
And he says, make it a game in between you guys. Get ridiculous with it. So we did. So we would text each other throughout the day. I'm so anointed that when I move my hair, oil flows like someone had a jerry curl. We talked about stuff like that. What are we doing? We're acknowledging the anointing that's on our life. And what happened? We became more aware of him. And so when we would pray, his presence would flood the air of the world. What happened? Because we were in a habit of acknowledging him, a habit of acknowledging the anointing that's on our life. Whatever you acknowledge will continue to manifest. There are some things in your life you need to stop talking about.
faith, 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 faith. I haven't memorized the scripture this week. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. We're going to say the word, faith, faith, faith. What happens? Now she's going to be trained to walk in the anointing before she fully understands what the anointing is. Because one of the things you have to understand about little children, their spirits are alive to God. Their spirits are born alive to God. So God can do things in them through their confession. So you need to teach them what to say when they're young. So they grow up speaking faith. And speaking fear is a cuss word. Not just cuss words. It's like uh, fear, I'm afraid. No, we don't say that. No. Afraid of what? No, God has not given us spirit of fear. Well, that's a whole different mentality. Imagine if you can raise a generation that wasn't afraid of anything. Because the power of bullying is in fear. You have to talk about the anointing. Get your family talking about the anointing. Families are anointed to do different things. Doesn't mean the family's perfect. It doesn't mean God anointed them. You know, there's some families, they're anointed on their lives are very apparent. The Winans, it's very apparent what they're anointed to do. You don't have to ask, oh, I wonder what that family's anointed to do. We know what they're anointed to do without a shadow of a doubt. Your house has an anointing. So I don't know what it is. Get before God and figure out what it is and talk about it. Maybe put it on your refrigerator or your bathroom mirror about what this house is anointed to do. Talk about what you're called to do. One of the things my parents would tell us, especially as we got older, is we are anointed to fund the gospel. So we must make money so we can give it away. So it was in our background, our head. Make more money, give it away. Make more money, give it away. Make more money, give it away. We were raised that way. And so not tithing is ridiculous. What do you mean don't tithe? What do you mean don't give above your tithe? That sounds ridiculous to us. That's how we were raised. We were taught to partner with the gospel. We were taught any time we go to church, even if we've been there three services already. I remember one time when I was in the youth choir, I had already been to two. I had already given. And I was going to let that third offering bucket just pass me by. And it was about to pass me by, and my grandma stopped the bucket. She says, you never miss an opportunity to give. Because she quoted Ecclesiastes, it might be that one thing that breaks the dam. And she, says, she leaned to me and said, hey, if you're ever out of giving, I'll put something in your hand for you to give. And so I've never forgot the lesson, so I always give. Now I can text giving. I text into meetings. I remember one time there was a meeting going on this summer, and the night before, I saw the person leading the meeting receiving an offering. And I'm like, well, that's a weird dream. And so I woke up in the morning, I turned on the TV, there was a meeting, and he's collecting an offering to give away to, be, to speakers. So I want to give to these speakers the biggest offering they ever had in their life. I said, oh, that's what that dream was about. Where's my phone? I don't need another confirmation of texting that offering. What is it? I'm always connecting with that anointing because I'm always sowing, I'll always be reaping. If I was always reaping, I'll always have a harvest. The more you sow, the more you reap. But as you're sowing, as you're reaping, talk about the anointing you're connected to. Talk about the anointing that's on your life as an individual. Talk about the anointing you have that's because you partner with this church. Talk about the anointing that's on you because of any other ministry you partner with. Because you're partnering with that anointing, that anointing should work in your everyday life. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. 
we ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.